0: I'm Aaron Ross Powell, and this is Reimagining Liberty, a show about the emancipatory and cosmopolitan case for radical freedom. Today's episode is about transgender rights and the growing cultural backlash on the right against the very idea of transgender identities. My guest is Kelly Wright, a Brooklyn-based writer and activist and an affiliate with the Center for a Stateless Society. We explore the myths and objections the conservatives have about transgender people, gender-affirming healthcare, and the greater prevalence of transgender identification. We look at how treating transgender people with respect and acceptance and giving them the healthcare they need improves lives and lowers suicide rates. We dig into the nature of gender identity and what it means for self-expression. And we tie it all into the cause of liberty which means nothing if it doesn't support and embrace the right of everyone to live lives and express identities of their own authoring. Maybe let's start with what might be a pretty basic question, namely, what is gender and is it distinct from biological or I guess assigned at birth sex?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. Um, I think the answer would be yes and no. Um, It depends on the context that we're speaking in. Um, I think rhetorically, people will do sort of like a bait and switch where they'll say, well, we're talking about gender, which is a social construct, which can be changed, which is different than biological sex, which is an immutable fact. And I think that for intense, like for argument's sake and and for really the lived reality of a lot of people, there really isn't a difference between the two. For instance, many trans people have their sex markers changed on government identity documents. Um, a lot of trans people have a biological sex that would be closer to their lived sex than the one that they were assigned at birth. Um, so I think, from like a maybe like a 101 level, yeah, there's a, a difference between gender and sex, but for terms of law, and when we're talking about public policy i think a lot of people kind of conflate them or maybe like don't they don't conflate them for purposes of like controlling people controlling trans people specifically
0: so then just conceptually like what does it mean to say you know my my biological sex assigned at birth is is male but my gender is something else. I mean, is that, is that different than saying, you know, cause we all, we all have identities that are different from each other's identities. Um, what is specifically then kind of the identity of gender in this context?
1: I would say like, I think that the phraseology of like assigned at birth is very important. Um, I think that that language is more accurate for one. Um, People are, they're born, and the doctor basically looks at their groin, and based on what they see, they assign their sex. So they're basically assigned male or female, and that is essentially the beginning of what is a a gender caste system, and it's not always correct. Some some people grow up to change their sex. Um, Some people, their sex at birth really doesn't have much of a a bearing on their day-to-day life later on. Um, and yeah, I would say like gender is, this is, this is like the kind of postmodern where postmodernism kind of enters the conversation. Gender is sort of like a performative thing that people do irrespective of their assigned sex at birth. So you can think of gender as sort of a, a way that we signal to others how we want to be perceived. And again, that doesn't really have anything to do with what someone's sex was at birth, what they were assigned at birth. Um, so, and again, like, I don't think, I think it's more accurate to describe gender as like, there's like, there's no one who's 100% their gender presentation and their gender identity is 100% male. I think there's, it's like a spectrum, right? There's people not mm-hmm. like there's, there's, um, I don't know there, it's not black and white. Um, and yeah, I think we're, we're progressing into a future where the, the, the gendered expectations of people based on their assigned sex are getting looser. People are, you know, there's more permissiveness entering into our, our our cultural awareness, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing.
0: Now, this might be getting ahead of ourselves because there's a question later on about about transhumanism and you know where things are headed. But does this mean that transgenderism, as we understand it right now, is? I guess, is a temporary thing in the sense that we have these, these existing conceptions of gender roles. And so the thing that people object to is people of different biological sexes essentially transgressing in their minds these these gender roles. But as that spectrum grows and we become more diverse, does does gender as a binary category i guess disappear and we just we just kind of perform our identities however we imagine them without yeah. saying this identity fits with this conception of biological sex or this traditional gender role
1: yeah that's i i think about this a lot too i would say i'm not sure i think that it would be it's an interesting hypothesis to think if we, in some future state where Like today's contemporary or maybe the past century's contemporary gender roles are more or less like a thing of the past. But the question would be like, would people still experience like gender dysphoria in such a future? And I wonder, I wonder if maybe fewer people might experience that sort of like discordance between how people perceive them and how they perceive themselves. So I I wonder, I wonder if in you know a hundred years, if maybe if we had a kind of a more relaxed understanding of of like gender and we divorced it from biological sex um, or sex assigned at birth. I wonder if maybe, if maybe, yeah, maybe if, if there wouldn't be so much, you know, the, if the, if the, the resisting that, I think you use the term transgression. I think that's a great term um, especially like, yeah, that's just a great term. Like we're, we're kind of refuting this, this system that's kind of taken for granted and the, our very existence kind of throws a wrench into this into the system that has been created. And I think that that's what, what's really kind of scaring a lot of people, a lot of the more reactionary-minded people, is if something is if something that can, that was taken to be so safe as like sex, if that can be upended, then I think that that has implicated. What what else can be upended? Um, what other things are we taking for granted? Um, and I think that that can be unsettling for people.
0: Does that then mean that? because i was going to ask about how you know people have lots of identities we perform lots of identities you know like every kid goes through a goth phase kind of thing and but but like those identities don't seem to be as upsetting to conservatives and a lot of libertarians as gender identities and transgressing specifically gender identities is and so i guess one thing that i wondered was how much of the the almost visceral react like negative reaction to transgender identities and people that we see on the right isn't so much about sex and the questions that they they raise like you know like well you're if you're born a man you're a man and there's you know like trans women aren't women and all that it's like this very kind of categorical definitional biological thinking but how much of that is just a broader pretext for we've seen even before transgenderism became the 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 big issue um that conservatives are upset about there's always been this long like you know women should be working in the home that's their tra- or should be in the home that's their traditional identity and men should be the breadwinners and that that broke down um the sexual revolution you know women increasingly in in the workforce and men losing out on manufacturing, like all of that, like that how much of it is less about these biological categories that we're told it is and more about like just reinforcing the the roles that conservatives think men, however we identify them and women, however we identify them, belong to in a society?
1: Um I think they're related. So I think I think that ultimately it comes down to a concern over reproductive capacity. And I think that that, I think that that kind of informs a lot of the, the gender caste system I was referring to, like keeping women in the kitchen, keeping women in the home, raising children, and then men go out and make all the money. Um, I think that that is about like, like it, it emerges from like a centuries long, process of like viewing women as property of their fathers until they're bequeathed to their husbands to be the property of their husbands um and i think that that's kind of where that system is decaying and dying and we're the new system the new world is you know struggling to be born um and i think that that's kind of where we find ourselves i do think that this the concern seems to be with a lot about like reproductive capacity so you see this in a lot of the like the books that have come out targeting like tr- trans acceptance viewing, it seems to be really couched in like paternalism and protecting the reproductive capacity of, it seems to be really focused on like young trans masculine individuals who they s- are you are just young girls. Um, and a lot of that they, they see, they see them being like basically being told to hate their femininity and become men and that is something that we need to protect them from and then on the flip side they view trans women as like invaders or fetishists who are preying on her trying to enter women's spaces to prey on them and to bring it all like to bring it all together it just strikes me as like a, pater- a paternalistic urge to defend the like sanctity of femininity and yeah i think especially in the context of like trans women the transgression comes up again because that is a lot of the cultural like animosity is really directed at people in like the trans feminine spectrum, and it's because they, like, we voluntarily revoke like male privilege. We voluntarily kind of we we. Why would anyone want to embrace femininity? Like our culture views femininity as like weak and and humiliating and passive. Um. So why would anyone go like forfeit that? Um. And so yeah, I I see it as a con. Like it's kind of like the state. Seizing the means of reproduction, in a sense, saying that your body really isn't yours; it it serves a a sexual function of procreation, and any attempt to disrupt that should be stopped. Whether that's abortion, whether it's contraception, whether it's same-sex relationships, or whether it's gender transition, it all comes back to controlling like reproductive capacity, promoting the nuclear family um, by law promoting a procreative nuclear family and really eschewing any kind of like self-determinism or self-ownership, people deciding what they want to do with their own bodies.
0: A lot of the current debates and really heated arguments and what I think we both agree are quite dangerous laws that are being passed right now have to do not with at least Explicitly, not with the mere existence of transgender people, but instead with with giving people transgender health care and and particularly children, although that age the age that they count as children seems to keep going up um so what what is the health care that is in question, and is there a concern is there a legitimate concern about? young people who maybe are still in the I'm exploring lots of identities phase getting medications or treatments or even surgeries that, you know, that they they're not in a position to have decided, you know, in an informed way or that they're going to they're going to you know regret when they become adults.
1: Yeah, so I don't think there's that much of a risk, um, I think, implicit in that assumption. Is like, I think speaking from personal experience, when I came out in like 2014, the prevailing, the, the, my main concern was like doubt. Um, and I think that that's a concern or what's on the minds of a lot of people who are just starting to come out is this doubt. And so I think a lot of people who are embarking on a gender transition, there really isn't, there really, it, there's no fast lane. No, no one is really being like rushed into a medical transition. Um, so I really don't think it's that much of a concern. Um, in terms of like children, I will just say, like, I think, I think maybe the, the most important thing I want people to really take away is just this idea that transgender identities should be seen as just as authentic as cisgender identities. And what I mean by that is, it's pretty well documented that gender identity begins to emerge in people as early as the age of two. Um, And, and the, it it starts to like concretize and solidify and not really change by the age of four. So, and this is like, this is true for cisgender children and transgender children. So, and again, like if someone, if, if someone is four years old and asserting that they're a gender different than the one assigned at birth, they're not being they're not being prescribed any medications they're not getting any surgeries generally what it looks like is talk therapy with a an adolescent psychologist um they might embark on what's called social transition which is really just picking a new name growing your hair out or maybe cutting your hair changing the clothes that you wear um choosing different pronouns and seeing how that feels see, seeing if that makes them happy um and so I think, you know, the, the earliest you really begin introducing medical transition would generally be with the introduction of puberty blockers, which, again, would happen around the onset of puberty. Um, and I think I think that we can say that, it, like, I think that we are at a point in in our technological capabilities where people can choose the puberty they want to have. And I really, I like framing it in that way because it that's like ultimately what we're talking about here is like puberty blockers are are a tool to pro, kind of prolong the decision making window to delay the onset of irreversible bodily changes so they're they are a tool for prolonging the period to make life altering decisions um and again like another point i really want to make is that a lot of this care that is offered to transgender people wasn't wasn't designed for transgender people. It was used for cisgender people for decades. Um, puberty blockers are used in in precocious puberty cases, people who are starting puberty young. Um, and some cisgender people take hormones. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess like, to bring it in for a landing, like I, I don't really think there's much of a risk. And I think that the concerns about rushing people into transition are unfounded. And again, there's this, we have to keep in mind the broader context that we're living in. Like we live in a very gendered society and the, the status quo, the, the prevailing, the prevailing systems are designed to affirm the genders of cis people. So, you know, kind of like creating space in this system for, for trans people isn't, it isn't like tearing the system down. We're we're really just in the beginning of this rethinking. Um, and I yeah, I think it's a good thing.
0: So when I've had conversations about this with people who take a, a more conservative, say, position, or in some cases, a more reactionary position on these issues. The the concerns that I hear with with what you just said, the the reactions that they have or the pushback are a couple of things. Uh the first is that due to the what they they would phrase as, you know, like the kind of the woke woke culture around this, which they say dominates, you know, at the academy, but it also dominates now in in the schools and so on, um, when a a kid or a preteen comes forward and says, I think I might be transgender. And they're talking to a teacher, or maybe they're talking to a psychologist or a therapist, you know they're talking to someone, an adult um that there's the the current culture of radical acceptance, I suppose has them not then having a conversation about are you in fact transgender? is this in fact your identity um but instead that it's it's all affirmations like, okay, you've said you're, you're transgender. Um, now how can we, how can we affirm this identity of yours and, and then proceed to the therapeutic steps that you, you know, that you just mentioned or the, the kind of proto transition steps that you just mentioned. Um, and so a lot of kids who kids are naturally like fickle in their identities. They play with, identities all the time Um, they get caught up in fads and so on Um, and so we are we're basically the argument goes we're like our culture has is just reifying those potentially fickle positions instead of saying let's try to decide if they're if they're genuine or not do you is there is there a worry about that is that is there anything to that concern like should we be saying to the you know whether it's the 7-year-old or it's the 11-year-old or it's the 14-year-old who says i think i might be transgender should we be saying okay yes now let's figure out how to explore that or should we be saying well wait a second let's see let's talk through whether this is genuine for lack of a better term
1: so i think i think the the two choices you're providing the closest to reality is the like is the like let's go slow method um and I would say like for like real quick, like every major medical association in the country recommends gender affirming care. Um, It lowers suicides, it lowers depression rates, it lowers anxiety rates. Um, So like every major medical association supports it and for, for trans youth, for adolescents and the diagnostic criteria, the, the terms that are used is kind of like a buzzword is persistent, consistent and insistent identification. And that is, like, a a continuing, a a perpetual identification. This is different than, say, you know, small children identifying as dogs and cats and engaging in, like, fantasy role play and that sort of thing. It's just completely different. We're talking about completely different things. Uh, Back to my earlier point, like, gender identity emerges very young in people. And it's, it's kind of of an apart it's like it's a, it's its own thing um and when you if you're lucky enough to be born to a family that is accepting and you're lucky enough to be in an area with the the doctors and the endocrinologists and you are lucky enough to get an appointment through the wait times there it, there really isn't like they're not forcing it on you um if anything there's there's pumping of the brakes along the way of checking in and saying like how do you feel Um, one thing I wanted to say is there's this, there's this like prevailing notion that like trans outcomes are bad outcomes. Like, like if someone, there's this idea that if, if someone who is cisgender thinks they might be trans starts, starts on the path of like a medical transition and then decides it's not for them. That is kind of seen as like this humiliating, like, like why, like it's seen as like, I don't know. There's like so much like consternation around the possibility that someone might think they're trans, take, take some steps to pursue that, decide it's not for them. And that that is just like a horrible outcome. Um, And I think that that is just like, I think we should encourage people to explore that part if they, if they're questioning. Um, But again, like there's really, the, the gender affirming model is different than what I think would be called like the gender reparative model, which is generally how it was done before, which is basically conversion therapy. If like someone who's assigned male at birth comes forward and wants to grow their hair out and then, you know, express their gender in a feminine presentation, they're, you know, they're advised to like, their parents are advised to like throw out girls' clothes and make them play sports and, and, you know, like really like, like push it, right? Push the cisgender outcome. So yeah, I just realistically, the way that it's playing out now, the, the gender affirming model is is like the way to go. And it's the way that like trans people have advocated for the people who are actually pursuing this care. It's a, it's deviating from the gatekeeping method where you have to go in front of psychiatrists and kind of like prostrate yourself before them to get hormones. We're, we're moving away from that and we're moving towards this informed consent model. Um, and, and that's kind of where the, I think the fight is going to be is this informed consent model. And even for like adults, this is the fight that's going on in, in like Britain. Is this fight over self ID and and saying that like like in in Britain I'm pretty sure you need a government gender recognition certificate to like amend certain documents, and that's just such a it's just such a like a horrible idea in my mind, like needing the government's permission, a government permission slip to to like recognize your sex or your gender it's just so I'm so hostile to that, and I think we're kind of importing that like we're importing that transphobia. That turfism, um, this like reactionary mindset, and I I'm not pleased. And I think we should be going the route of like informed consent, and you know, approaching it with an open mind and helping people through what is kind of a tumultuous point in their life.
0: What about the role of parents in this? Because one of the big objections, and you know, this is this is part of the the Florida don't say gay laws and so on, is this notion that. Kids are telling their teachers that they think they might be transgender, and then the teachers are affirming that and helping them explore it. And it's being kept from the parents who obviously have an interest in what their kids are up to, particularly if it involves like medical decisions. Um, And and sometimes it even kind of shades into almost talking as if kids are— Talking to their teachers, getting sent to the school, counselor, and then beginning transition, even in like a, you know, taking hormone blockers um or taking puberty blockers or taking hormones, all of that happening without the parents, which seems I the schools probably aren't giving puberty myth. blockers to children without No, know, that's not happening. Uh, but but like what what is the role of parents and should parents should this kind of stuff be able to happen without parental input or, or outright consent?
1: So I think that that's like a tough question. Um, I come from, I don't know. Like I, like I, I, I worry about giving parents all of the power. Um, I don't believe that children are like the property of their parents and that their like, their parents do make like medical decisions on their behalf. But I do think that like, the idea, like in Florida, this like don't say gay bill, I, bl- I believe it's like called like the parental rights and education bill, and lost lost in a lot of this talk about you know like gender affirming care being child abuse, and Texas sending child protective services after families who are pursuing care recommended by all the major medical associations, where the the parental rights of parents of trans children seems to be lost in this. They're a lot of families in Texas are like frantically trying to leave the state to avoid child protect, like child protective services, not only removing their trans children from the house, but their their siblings, like their, their non-trans children saying that like, you're an abusive parent and you can't have your children. It's just like, it's hard to believe that that's where we're at right now. Um, but I think like in terms of like parental rights, like I worry about trans people who are born to non-accepting parents. And I do think that there's something to be said about, um, people having authority over their body, and at at an at that age, at the age of say puberty, um, I like recently Bill Maher was saying was like remarking on his show about how there seems to be more trans people in California than Ohio, and why there seems to be why it seems to be so localized, and not understanding that like, yes, Ohio is considering a bill right now to criminalize gender transition to literally criminalize it up to like the age of twenty five. Um, which is not trans youth, and like I'm I'm reminded of Leila Alcorn, a, tr- a transgender girl who committed suicide in the Dayton area, which is where I grew up, and in her suicide note that she published to Tumblr, one of her calls was for like early childhood education on gender identity, and like yes, like. There needs to be like people need to be aware that this is like an option that pe- that that there are people out there like them, um, and I would hope that as things get more accepting, parents will support their children um, in pursuing this much needed life saving medical care.
0: Yeah, I mean, this makes me think of how, the frustration that I have with a lot of libertarians who, you know, libertarians are way out in front on gay rights. And, and gay marriage, you know, the Libertarian Party was the first major party to put gay rights in their platform. Um, the Libertarian think tanks were the first pushing this in Washington way before Democrats and progressives got on board and so on. And yet when it comes to transgender rights uh, and, and transgender just acceptance or even just toleration, how many— people who were good on gay rights suddenly are very bad on this, but in a way that mirrors the same bad arguments about gay rights that they pushed back on. And what you said about accepting parents is, you know, is part of that is there are a lot of gay libertarians who went through the experience of having an unaccepting family, of being ostracized, of just wanting their identity to be validated and accepted Um, being told that they were abnormal or shameful or outside of acceptable behaviors and identities and how much better the world became when, when being gay was just treated as normal, you know, like it's just, it's just one way to, you know, to be, um, but then, when it comes to transgender stuff, they are making exactly the same kinds of like we have to protect the children there's there's this is about predators um kids are being forced into these identities by woke or leftists um, like why it's why is it different for people like why why is Gayness, which is a a way of expressing your, your sexual interest and sexual identification, and um th- people don't seem to draw the parallels
1: yeah. there. So yeah, I think there's a lot there. I'm not maybe I'm not sure why. Um I think maybe some differences might be that sexual orientation is like more invisible. Like it's not you can't like really tell by looking at someone what their sexual orientation is. Um, and early on, you know, the concerns were like, I'm okay with gay people as long as they don't flaunt their lifestyle. Um, and I think with trans people, it's, it's like a little more obvious if someone comes and changes their gender and like, if it's a coworker or a family member, it's like, it's, it's more identifiable, um, easier to spot. Um, I also think that we're kind of behind the curve. So I think a major part of growing acceptance of like gay people was convincing or teaching the general public that like you have a sexual orientation too you're just heterosexual um we also have a sexual orientation we're just homosexual and i think once the broader society is like oh they're just like us they just like people of the same sex that's fine um and i think part of that was like oh cool now like we'll accept them because they just want to get married and have kids and be again part of that nuclear family which is great if you want to do that i think with trans people it's like there's, there's more of, like, an obligation on other people. So this is, like, where pronouns come in. Um, like, if someone at your job transitions and they want you to use different pronouns, you can, people might be defensive and think that think that that's, like, an expectation of them that they might want to not comply with. Um, and beyond that, I think it's also, like, yeah, the, like, the ick factor, um, I think... I think some people, especially as a result of like decades of conservative fusionism, that is kind of the social conservativeness has kind of seeped in subtly. And it seen like gender nonconformity is seen as like maybe juvenile or not serious or threatening, um, threatening to like the nuclear family, the, 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 the patriarchy, that sort of thing. Um, so that's my suspicion of why there might be behind the curve. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating.
0: The pronoun thing has always struck me as a little bit odd. Like the, that's, people get really mad about people asking them to use different pronouns. And, and on the one hand, like you can understand, you know, we are, we, You've referred to someone as she, pronouns are kind of baked into our language, we're used to using them, we're used to visually identifying people as getting a certain set of pronouns, and you can, you know, so it's a, it's like an extra level of like friction, you have to think about this in a way that you maybe didn't before with a given person or keep track of it if, you know, with multiple people and all of that, but, but like the rage about it, people change often change their identities in ways that require us to change the language that we use around them all the time, whether that's I've changed my name or I'm, you know, like I'm going by this nickname now, please call me. I had a friend who had one name and then in seventh grade, he went away for a year to live on a houseboat in the Caribbean. And when he came back, he had a different nickname. And he wanted all of us to call him that. And some people did, some people didn't. And it was, you know, like it, but like people do that or I've converted to a different religion. And so now I need you to act. Maybe you get married.
1: Someone was miss and now they're Misses. Right. We do that all the time. And, and people still,
0: you know, like you can, you can slip up and call them by the old thing. And then they just say, Hey, you know, like, could you please call me this? And you say, Oh, I'm sorry. And, you know, like, it doesn't, this doesn't seem like a big deal, but the pronoun thing just creates this. Like rage where it's it's not just I'll try to remember to do this. It is like this is a personal affront to me yeah. that you are saying, hey, can you call me she or they instead of yeah. he?
1: So I think I think a lot of it might have to do with the sort of like the 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 caste system. Like we live in a very gendered society, and I think cis people in particular don't really identify it because it's like trying to tell a fish that they're in water we're just swimming in it all the time and so when people start to point out how gendered our society is people can get defensive um and like i think it's i like through my transition i obviously started like maybe degendering my language and trying not to use gendered terms so much and i just find it to be easier like maybe at first it's a little tricky um but now i say like folks and and stuff and like i I don't know i i don't i I really try not to use gendered language when it's not necessary, which is like most most of the time um and yeah, I encourage i i don't know it's it comes so much easier to me now, and it feels more accurate like it feels like it feels more encompassing in the notes
0: that we had put together before this conversation, you drew parallels between trans rights and abortion rights. Can you discuss that a bit?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we're recording this like what, a week, two weeks after this leaked Roe decision, uh, which I think is kind of, if that if that opinion comes down the way that that draft is written, it would be probably like the single most anti-libertarian moment in the Supreme Court's history, maybe. Um, like in terms of like, in all of our history, we've been expanding constitutional rights. Like we've been reinterpreting the constitution to extend rights to more people. And if this decision comes down, not only would it limit the right to an abortion, but it would just completely eviscerate the, the so-called unenumerated right to privacy, which so many other um, constitutional rights rest on, like the right to have a same sex relationship in your home or the right to use contraception or the right of interracial marriage. These all rest on this, this unenumerated right to privacy. Um, And, you know, I've been kind of steeped in like reading about abortion rights the last couple of weeks, and I'm just struck by the connections. Like, even for like, like cis people, like now that states are criminalized abortion, like uh, Oklahoma just basically criminalized abortion after, after fertilization, which I want to say is before conception. Um, so to, to, the interpretation of that law could criminalize like IUDs or the morning after pill. Um, but, now that states across the country are going to be restricting abortion, maybe in all cases, a lot of people are like, well, I want to get like my tubes tied now, um, or I want to get like a hysterectomy. And like, cisgender women are, there's so many stories on Twitter of cisgender women wanting to get their tubes tied or to otherwise end their ability to get pregnant. And doctors are just like, no, like, you might regret it. Do you have children? Like, you don't have children yet. I'm not going to do it or i need your husband's permission i'm not going to do that without your husband's permission so i see i see like the right to change my sex as stemming from like the same bodily autonomy like tree of liberty um and yeah like that just goes kind of like across the board like again we we talked about this earlier but like it does seem like the state is just very preoccupied with ensuring that people you know grow up get married have children and that's it um and the the push to criminalize abortion is part and parcel with the push to like if you if you really push these people like i call them at this point forced birth proponents um if you push them they seem to think that like pregnancy is like a punishment for having sex and like if you don't want to be pregnant you shouldn't have sex and so implicit in that is that like non-procreative sex is wrong and if you go further from there then what like what what do they think about people who would get their their genitals reconfigured what would they think about someone like there's 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 already questions around like texas is considering criminalizing people leaving the state to get abortion care and so then you start to wonder like are they gonna like people who are having miscarriages are being denied the care they need because of this. And I, I don't know, like the idea of someone, I mean, I go to the doctor and nurses will ask me if I'm nursing or pregnant and I tell them no, obviously. Um, and I just wonder like in some future state where abortion is criminalized, like what stops the police from like inquiring about like menstrual history or inquiring about like the state of your reproductive capacity. And I just really wonder like, what like the future we're heading into is just really disconcerting. And it seems to be the uniting, the uniting thread between them seems to be like a concern around fertility, a concern around reproduction. Um, And I think, yeah, I think it's, it's wedded in there with like great replacement theory, which has been in the news lately, this fear of like declining white births. Um, And yeah, I just, I, I see, I see them connected and it's, it's very concerning.
0: I think there's too a a fear of essentially i call it like radical self authorship the the ability of people to choose who they want to be and how they want to express what they are and and the kind of life that they want to lead and this is why i've i'm increasingly you know part of the the argument for for fusionism for the compatibility of libertarianism and conservatism is that you can have you can have conservative values and preferences, socially conservative values and preferences, but believe that government should be extraordinarily limited and that, you know, the institutions propping up freedom and that there can even be like a synergistic relationship between those where, you know, the the freedom that a minimal government gives us allows us the room to cultivate, develop, habituate virtues of of a conservative type, which are then those virtues are then necessary for the, the continuation of a free society. And, and so much of what's going on right now, including the, the backlash against transgender identities, it plays into it or show puts the lie to that. I suppose that, that it's not enough to simply say, I believe in, a minimal state or i believe in freedom but i have very traditionally conservative views about gender roles or the place of women or the the proper types of families or expression because at some point you know i've heard from people that it's not that you know we're anti gay or we're anti trans it's just that like we you know it's Hollywood's pushing it on us. They keep putting gay characters in my television shows, and I'm sick of seeing them. You know they're like they're ramming it down our throat in very suggestive language like it's I think that there's the the broader problem is that ultimately conservative or reactionary virtues call them or values or preferences when when a society is sufficiently free and people are expressing themselves in all of these ways ultimately becoming compatible with even political liberty, which I think what we're seeing right now is like, oh, my God, there's all these people transgressing gender roles, and I don't like it. And so now freedom goes out the window. And so I increasingly think the only way to maintain a genuinely free society um, defined in part as one where people have the freedom to self-author is for a critical mass of the polity to not just have a belief in political freedom, but to have internalized habituated in culture and um, like actual liberal values and virtues in terms of not just toleration for difference, but appreciation for difference, delight in difference and self-authorship, um, a an affinity for cultural dynamism, And identity dynamism and so on, because I don't think if you don't have that, I think eventually the political stuff is you're going to turn against freedom. And I think this is what we have seen among a lot of libertarians who are descending into right wing stuff. It's what we're seeing with the rise of these anti-gay and anti-trans bills is just there's a lot of people who are like, okay, we've crossed the line. Society's drifted too far from my particular lifestyle preferences I say I like freedom, I celebrate the 4th of July, wave the flag, but it's time for the state to step in and, you know, criminalize or outright destroy the lives of the people who are living in ways that make me feel uncomfortable.
1: So, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I'm reminded of Friedrich Hayek's Why I'm Not a Conservative, and I probably won't get it verbatim, but I think the overarching thesis there is that conservatives fear like a liberal order or fear freedom because they don't know they can't anticipate like where it will lead and that liberals are fine with that. Liberals think that like the dynamism of the liberal order is yeah, it's unpredictable, but it it provides so much innovation and so much enrichment for everyone that that's like, we we have to support it if we value freedom. Um, And I'm also reminded of like this, this argument that you just made about like, you know if we let people just do what they want then it'll degrade the they won't support libertarian policies um and that seems that's like i think that's like almost exactly like what you hear from like anti-immigration libertarians where they say that like we can't have we can't have immigration while we have a welfare state or we can't let immigrants come here because they'll vote anti-libertarian positions and that's just like i don't know nonsensical to me um so yeah i think like I want to shout out like Deirdre McCloskey who's written a lot on like liberalism and the great enrichment. And, you know, she cites, she cites like loosening gender roles as a win of the liberal order. That's a good thing. Um, The fact that people like, like, are we doing, like is Jordan Peterson, like, does, is he really saying that like the good old days when women couldn't open bank accounts without their husband's permission is like what we should go to like the, the Stonewall riots, which really kind of kicked off, I guess like the gay rights movement in 1969. And a few years before that there was, was called the Compton cafeteria riots. Those were anti-police riots and they were anti-police riots because police were enforcing cross-dressing laws. They were like arresting people and taking them to jail for women were wearing pants and, and, you know, people who at the time probably identified as like transvestites, who we would call trans women, they were being arrested for wearing dresses and wearing makeup. And that was ongoing, an ongoing like persecution of those communities. And eventually they just like, they literally rioted. Um, and that was the beginning of like, of of gay pride, gay power. Um, and so, yeah, there's like, you know, going back to your point about like libertarians being ahead of the curve, like, yeah, they put I think they put same-sex marriage in the party platform in the early '70s, and I believe, I believe when Hillary Clinton was, well, when Hillary Clinton ran in 2016, that was a year after Obergefell when the Supreme Court took it off, like took it away, took it away as a political issue. But like Obama and Clinton were de- were defending the Defense of Marriage Act on the floor of the Senate in like 2008. Um, so like I don't know, like yeah we're we're progressing we are progressing slowly but surely, and there appears to be blowback I'm hoping it's not I'm, I'm hoping we don't regress too far but yeah, I think you you do need to stick to your libertarian principles and realize that some people might do some things that make you uncomfortable with their freedom um and that could include like literally physically changing their body and that if that makes you uncomfortable, I think that says more about you
0: so then what is the what is the consistently libertarian or genuinely liberal position on on transgender rights given some of the concerns that you know conservatives or libertarians have about about children or making you know medical decisions that at some point might be irreversible um from from like a libertarian policy perspective how should we be approaching this
1: so yeah i have a lot of ideas um I guess like the first one I would say is like, there seems to be a trend from like, Democratic legislatures lately to add like an ex-gender marker to government documents. And I think the consistent libertarian position would be just to remove gender markers from government documents. Um, I'm reminded of a story um, in a book that maybe libertarians might like. It's called Beyond Trans, Does Gender Matter? It's by Heath Bog davis I believe um, he's uh, an attorney at the ACLU. And I believe that book opens with the story of Philadelphia's gendered public transit passes. And this is an interesting case where like, I it seems weird to think about it now, but like in the, in the 2000s, Philadelphia, in order to combat fraud, that was their stated purpose to combat fraud, they put gender markers on their bus passes. And this obviously created headaches for people, um, specifically trans people. There's a case of a trans woman who would basically be denied buses, access to buses, no matter which gendered pass they provided. So they carried like a male pass and a female pass. And again, this is for, this is for trans, like a mass transit system. And I think, I think if we can, and this person with the ACLU sued Philadelphia and won, and they removed their gender markers. And I think if we can concede that it's bad for there to be gender markers on metro passes, I think the logic applies to driver's licenses. And and birth certificates and passports. Like, why can't we just remove it from them? So that's one thing that I would say. I don't think testosterone should be a Schedule II substance. The DEA considers it as a Schedule II controlled substance. And I think, I think that that should be descheduled. I think that access to sex hormones should be liberalized, whether it's through a doctor or otherwise. Um, one thing that I think that libertarians could push that would make them arguably, like, Further to the left on this issue would just be like informed consent should be the standard of care. Like the alternative to the informed consent model is you basically have to get a therapist or a psychiatrist's permission to start hormones. And states and localities are, you know, removing that gatekeeping step of having to like go to often cisgender psychiatrists and therapists who have their own ideas about gender. Um, and the way that this played out in, in like the 1900s, like if you, like, if you were a trans woman and you wanted access to estrogen and androgen blockers, they like required you to live full time in your desired gender presentation before you could even access hormones. So they're like forcing people to like, you know, dress the way they want to dress, but without access to the like physiological alterations that come with it. And so you're kind of like, they were like making people like targets um, because that inhibits their ability like their, their physiology doesn't change right so I would like to see a more widespread adoption of the informed consent model um, and I do think that I do think that if you're distressed by the idea of going through your endogenous puberty I think that you are of the of sound mind to decide not to go through that puberty and if you're 12 I think that that's true I think that that's true at that case
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kelly Wright. Now, here's a preview of the next episode of Reimagining Liberty with Jason Kuznicki on the thought of the French philosopher and historian Michel Foucault. Foucault often gets ignored as a leftist by liberty advocates, but his analysis of the ideology of power and knowledge offers powerful tools for critiquing the state.
2: I wouldn't say that Foucault is is a Marxist. I don't think the category fits very well at all. Uh To a Marxist, all of history is the story of class struggle and the story of the implications of class struggle. So uh, when you look at the 19th century, what you see if you're a Marxist is a story of the proletariat in conflict with the bourgeoisie. And for a Marxist, eventually, the proletariat is going to win and they will do away with class distinction and make a society without uh, arbitrary domination or oppression by by capitalism. And uh, Foucault is in a way a bit more pessimistic than that. He doesn't believe that history has that kind of end point to it. History remains always one damn thing after another. And if you think that there's a way to get out of power, you're you know to escape the you know, power relations that structure society you're you're probably missing something or you've probably uh actually bought into one or another ideology that uh, is not going to deliver what it's promising he's in a way both multi-causal about historical events but also not teleological about the direction of history
0: Reimagining Liberty is a listener-supported show. Become a supporter and you'll get all episodes two weeks early, as well as access to our Discord community to chat with me and your fellow listeners. Just click the link in the show notes or head to reimaginingliberty.com slash subscribe.